Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The following is a paid program. The views or claims made are not necessarily those of WILK staff, management, or sponsors. Time for Laurie and Lynn. Local talk to start your weekend right. And now, Laurie and Lynn on WILK. Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? Oh, I'm a little nervous. Why? Because of the um, your brother in Florida? Yes. My, my brother, too. I just hung up with my brother. Mm-hmm. Now, at this time when you're listening, your things will be much more clear. Um, but we're taping on Thursday afternoon. So at this point... Um, right in the middle of it. And my brother's not leaving. Oh, neither's mine. My sister-in-law and my nieces have left. Oh. They're coming to Pennsylvania. Oh. But he is staying there. Well, my brother and sister-in-law and... The animals are staying right there. Mm-hmm. Said okay. One animal I... left, and the cat is staying with Timmy. Mm. And he said to me just now, "I'm boarding up the house. I'm putting the cars in the garage and putting my truck in front of the garage, and then I'm going inside." I said, "Timmy, why are you going to stay there?" He said, "Because then I'll never be able to get back in if I get out if I leave." Okay. I don't know. I guess people do. And they're, you know, I don't know. <sighs> it's a big decision. I big know decision. it is. So. I know it is. But that's, it's still, uh, you know, difficult. And, I and that, s- this is one hell of a storm. It's, it's unbelievable. Huge. It's just huge. Where he's, is it now? Do you know? Cause I, I don't know. It's been, <clears throat> he's been through Andrew He's been through the three that Katrina and whatever, whatever, uh, 10 years ago, I guess it was. Where is he? He's um, about seven miles in from Fort Lauderdale and Margate. Oh, so he's, okay, yeah. Yeah. Well, they last night they had the mayor, I was watching the Weather Channel, and they had the mayor, the mayor of Fort Lauderdale on, um, and my brother Timmy's in Jupiter, and he's literally about three blocks in from the beach, mm-hmm. maybe four. Mm-hmm. And, and now that's not true. Probably a little more in, but not much. He's not inland very far. Let's just put it that way. And then I have two nieces who live in Orlando. And if it goes the other way on the West Coast, um, they'll be having trouble too. Well, where's Orlando? <clears throat> Isn't that sort of in the middle of the, the state? Yeah. Okay. Either way, they lose. But anyhow, um, so that's what's making me a little bit nervous today. But besides that, I am fine. How are you doing? Mm-hmm. I'm good. Very good. Scary. But. Mm-hmm. Um, well, anyway, 
So you saw my husband. I saw Patrick A. DiNapoli yesterday. Yes, I did. And it was, as I said, very surprising to see him somewhere where it wasn't planned to be with you so that I would know he was joining us. I see him walking up the back steps of going into Mansour's for his um, lunch mm-hmm. and he was with his buddy and it was weird because I saw this guy and I said, I know that guy. That looks like Patrick because I couldn't see his face and lo and behold, it was Patrick. Mm-hmm. Well, he so told- what did he go home and tell you he saw us? Yes, okay. yes. And he also told me, I said, well, what did you have to eat? He said that he had a, a, an Italian tuna salad and then he said it was served on a hard roll. Well, I don't... <laughs> I don't quite know how you get that. But <clears throat> then he says to me, you should make that. Well, because all I don't it even means know. is, do you know what it's, Italian tuna is? No. It's just tuna fish, tuna made yes. with um, Italian dressing, not made with mayonnaise. Well, that's basically what he said. Yes. but so And then you why? have to put it on a roll to keep because of the... Um, the fluid, you know, because it's it's made with like a dressing, yeah, okay. so you would have to need something a little more sturdy to hold it on, hold well, on to it. Then he meant it's probably like what it is when you say chicken salad, it's chicken salad that you put on a sandwich, you know. So right. that's what he meant when he said tuna salad. They don't they don't do that unless you specifically ask them that. Okay. Yes. All right. So anyway, he enjoyed it immensely. It. Yeah, Loved people it. love it. Yeah. So, I'm a mayonnaise fan, so yeah. if I go and I want that, they'll they'll do the mayonnaise for you, but. Um, that's they okay. do have that specifically. So he's fine. But he with gave that. it the old thumbs up. Yes, he oh, loved good. it. He uh-huh. loved it. Yeah. So this weekend, um, I have two of my college buddies coming for a visit to yeah. the lake, and um, we decided we're cooking in this weekend. Cooking in. In. We're not going to go out for dinner. You're just hanging out inside. I right. love it. Are you going to go on the and boat? I d- I think it's going to be too cold. All right. It's only going to be in the mid-60s okay. here, you know, I know, so I think it's going to be cooler at the lake, and it's kind of like not worth it. But if they want to go, I'll be very happy to take them for a ride mm-hmm. just to see what's there. Who's go- who is joining you? My friend Joan Glover, okay. who's a West Scrantonite, uh-huh. and uh, another friend of ours from college, uh, Dr. Julie Rothman, who is recently retired, and so uh, they are coming to spend the weekend. And I'm thrilled. Oh, good. It's good to see them. We always have a good time. Yes. As you, uh, Two well, very, you, very funny people. Well, and you know, as I said, it, there's something just hanging out without running out of that place. You're in your, just to not have to go anywhere. It's really a great place to be. It is. Just to hang out. It is. So that's a good thing. Yep. Well, that's good. You know what I have to talk about too, Lynn? Um, um, I just want to say that my dear friend John Carney's wife Lois passed away um, on Monday, and um, I just I have to say she was I just absolutely adored her. Terrific woman, terrific mom, uh, great artist, and a heart as big as Texas. And I and John, who I love dearly, he's just one of my favorite people in town. They were so good and so together and um she's been battling an illness for a while and um 
she passed away on Monday, and I just want the family and everybody just to know and to keep them in their thoughts and prayers because she's a wonderful lady, and John's a great guy, and um, it's just it's just heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. So, did you well, know Lois? Did you ever meet no. her? Yeah, I don't think so. Wonderful. So, just my heart and prayers and. Thoughts. Well, I went Go to, to uh, visit um, one of our sponsors on Saturday night. Um, Mr. Calvin had a bit of an issue and uh, was having some problems keeping food down. Aww. So I thought I would... I called about after I watched him do this all day long and he still wouldn't eat. I called VREC. And I talked to the woman at the desk, and she said, "Let me talk to the doctor, and I'll call you, and I'll get right back to you." So she called me back, and she said, "Given that we don't really know what could be wrong, um, why don't you bring him in?" So at about quarter of eleven, I packed up Mr. Calvin and my things, and got into the car and drove back from the lake, and took him to there. And um, there was one other person in there at the time, one other sick p cat, I guess it was. So everybody just, they were delighted to see him because, because they, hadn't, where you got him from, they yeah. hadn't seen him since he was a little fluffy kitten. Mm -hmm. So everybody in the back was, yay, we have him back, we have him back. So they did some x-rays um, uh, just to make sure he had nothing in his stomach. And... Um, that, that was fine. He he was okay, did some blood work, and he checked out to be fine. And apparently he, um, well, because he had been vomiting all day, he was dehydrated. So they gave him some what fluids. They, fluids. And I took him home, and they told me I should give him boiled chicken, something very oh, light. God. And I just said to myself, okay, at 11 o'clock at night, <gasps> I, am, I am not going to get something out of the freezer and cook this thing. So anyway, I the next day I gave him a little bit of, of his own food. He was fine. Um, and then I took him back up to the lake and um, they were fine all day long. And he was outside killing, trying to kill the hummingbirds. Of course, he didn't succeed. Thank God. No, he doesn't. He, he pretends, you know, he stares up at them like they're I really going to just drop down in front of him. Mm -hmm. And he was just up to his usual tricks so he was uh, he's fine he's really fine but i just again want to commend the staff at vrec for the wonderful work that they do and the compassion and the caring that they have for him and for all the other animals that come in there mm -hmm. so this was a saturday night at eleven thirty or something like that so you just decided to stay home instead of trekking back up okay yes well that I, was smart yes and he made out okay, the other one? Oh, the other one was fine. <laughs> Just trying to figure out Could where... Could you imagine... No, I mean the other one, meaning Patrick, not oh, Hobbs. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. But Hobbs must have been scared. Like, where did he go? Well, he kept looking for him. He, yeah. He couldn't well, figure out why he was the only around. one there. I know. So, yeah, then Patrick calls at 2 o'clock in the morning and said to me, well, where did you go? And I said, <laughs> I went to VREC with Calvin. 
Well, nobody tells me anything around here. I don't oh, know. And of course I did, oh, but he yes. didn't remember. Mm-hmm. So um, he's, I said, go to bed. I said, go to sleep, and I will see you in the morning. So our friends, Robert and David, mm-hmm. um, Robert slept there that night, and David went back to their place to feed and be with their cats. So he fed him in the morning, and Patrick said, I went to feed him, Patrick said, I don't need anybody to make any toast and yogurt for me. He said, okay. So he yeah, I'm out of here. Uh-huh. Then, so Was he, he made, mad? No, but oh, he just okay. doesn't. He gets, Patrick gets ornery. nervous and ornery. Yes. yes. When things aren't as they're supposed to be. When anything yeah. is out of sync for mm-hmm. him, he gets nasty. And then So he, he wasn't treating David like a guest, was he, Lynn? Robert. Robert. No, he was not all. treating him like a guest. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not a very nice person, but he. Everybody tur- it was fine. Everybody they came back for dinner on Sunday night, and we had some dinner there, and things were great. But you know what I, we were talking about recently about having animals and having two, yes. and how everybody said it's so it's so much better to have two than yeah. one, and I agree with that except when the uh, when the other one is no longer. Well, that's because true. Then they're heartbroken. They are, and then unless you replace the that the the animal with another one quickly, the pain is is profound. Because you, I saw when Phoebe uh, was no longer with us, Lulu acted bizarre from the minute that happened. She mm-hmm. never was the same. Never. Mm-hmm. And of course, I never got another dog, but she just never acted like herself again. Always, I think, looking for Phoebe, yeah. including she would stand at the door, and it never happened before the day, the the, the day that I brought Phoebe's ashes home. Mm-hmm. That night when I was coming home, she was at my front door, Lulu, howling, and she had never done that before ever. I never heard a howl out of her, and I just thought it was really spooky that Phoebe is back. Ashes are back in the house. Yeah, we let when I dropped them off, then came, then I went back out, and Lulu was howling at the front door, like she obviously wanted me to be back, you know, and I wasn't at when she wanted it, and she howled. I mean, it was scary. Yeah, it was like a wolf. Yeah. So I I don't know. I I, I think if you have two, you got to keep two all the time. Well, I know that um, you know I had the two, the Siamese, and the one. Um, the one cat died before the other one. And that's when my niece decided that I needed this other cat that came from Philadelphia. So that was Pepper. So Pepper and Yin was the survivor of the Siamese. They were together for a couple years, and Yin was very, very domineering. Oh, yeah. And would jump on Pepper and all kinds of things. When Yin died, Pepper, Pepper was a whole new cat. Right, so that's Free weird. To move get, about well, the yeah, country. because that cat was bold to her. <laughs> right. Was it a girl or a boy? Uh, they're both girls. Uh, well, that's right. That's it, too. You know, no. trying to be the... But anyway, big cheese. it depends on the cats, you know, so... I guess, but yeah. okay. Well, we are going to take a quick break. We will be right back. You're listening this morning to the Laurie and Lynn Show. It's Saturday morning with Lori and Lynn. Now, back to Lori and Lynn. Good morning, everybody. I'm Laurie Cadden. I'm the owner of Laurie Cadden Enterprises. It's a PR, a special event PR. 
Just take it from I the top, girl. Start all over, Johnny. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. You're listening to Laurie and Lynn Show, and I'm Laurie Cadden, the owner of Laurie Cadden Enterprises, which is a fundraising PR and special event business. And I am Lynn Evans. I'm the president and CEO of Northeastern Financial Consultants. We're a fee-only financial planning firm in Clark Summit. I'm also the author of a book called Power of the Purse, Fear-Free Finances for Baby Boomer Women. Available on Amazon.com. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what's happening? What do you have over there well, in your bag I, of tricks? Uh, my bag of tricks. This is an interesting one. I really think we could do a lot on this one. Oh, no. But there's something that, that was an article that was called the Long Hours Game. And I just think it's pretty neat the way this was done. This woman who wrote it, her name is Amy Hansen. She talks about the fact that as a culture, you know, we we attribute um, success to the long hours that people work. And that, you know, the the longer you're there when you can't be out the for harder the weekend. the harder you work. Yeah, that, it's, it's a lot of nonsense. Uh-huh. All right. Well, what she says, this is a very interesting perspective. She said the 24-7 hour work week marches on and on. The get up and go and keep on going. The long hours game. We all do it from time to time. How can you have a healthy, sustainable lifestyle and build your career? The action-packed day of the executive continues to be a glorified image of leadership and arguably one that is dangerously unsustainable and at best questionable in effectiveness. The Atlantic has noted the tendency of elite wealthy American men to be the workaholics of the world. But just because long hours are the status quo doesn't mean that it's the key to successful business or career development. It's a rising argument in the context of today's information age workplace in which we tend to be knowledgeable knowledgeable workers conceiving of and implementing ideas that a five-hour workday would be a business hack for more productivity and profitability. So what's with the persistence and overvaluation of long hours in the corporate world? Here's the point. According to Professor Joan Williams in HBR, the long hours fascination is underpinned by an elitist male value system based on class, status, and morality. As sociologist Michelle Lamont states, ambition and a strong work ethic are doubly sacred as signals of both moral and socioeconomic purity. Along these lines, commitment is singular devotion to work where it must be the central focus of one's existence. Within this elitist moral construct, being consumed by one's work is both a status symbol and a moral badge. As Williams writes, being slammed is a socially acceptable way of saying, I am important. Whereas 50 years ago, the elite working class showed their status by displaying their abundant time for leisure Today, it's about displaying your extreme schedule. Research has found mm-hmm. that That's the long true. research true. has found that the long hour craze is also yet another masculine test of endurance and perceived heroism. When it comes to what's really behind the persistence and glorification of putting in the midnight oil, Williams writes, "It's not productivity. It's not innovation. It's identity." So what does this ego-driven identity booster do for business, really? 
they go on and talk about all the different situations and and how it it affects your productivity but Uh this is the one i thought was interesting worse for women well there are many studies showing how overworking adversely impacts health on a myriad of measurements for everyone a recent study involving 7,500 people over 32 years from Ohio State University found working long hours is far worse for women's health than men's. Within the study, 56% of the people studied worked 41 to 50 hours a week, 28% worked 30 to 40 hours a week, and 16% worked more than 50 hours a week. Working 60 hours or more a week on average for three decades was found to triple the risk of diabetes, cancer, heart trouble, and arthritis for women. Risk increased after 40 hours and became heightened after 50 hours for women, but not for men. Mm -hmm. The researchers hypothesized this was reflective of the multiple roles women juggle and disproportionate pressure at home. Mm -hmm. In fact, when men worked moderately longer hours, they had a lower risk of heart disease, lung disease, and depression than men who worked under 40 hours, at least when it comes to early onset disease. However you feel about the results, it is yet more proof that chronically playing the long hours game is no path towards gender equality or thriving personally. Being consumed, even when it comes from a place of intrinsic motivation, often ends in burning out. Yeah. Or you want to be a martyr or any of those kind of things. There's so many reasons that... That happens, I think. Yeah, but I, I think Or you that, put it on yourself. Well, yeah. Like, w- w- what I don't get, and I see more, is what is... Why isn't it okay for you to be taken care of in some way? I think it's To wonderful. take care of yourself. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Whether it's time off, sitting down, not rushing, having someone come and help you with cleaning. So, things that everybody else does... And they have to pile it on top of, in many cases, other stuff. And I don't mean people, I don't mean this at all for someone who might not be able to afford those luxuries. I'm talking about people, and this obviously is not talking about those type of people either, it seems. Correct? Right. That these are more people who can do it. It's just the, the prestige of saying, oh, I'm working or I'm in the office until whatever it is. And that feeling. Do you see that more and more with people? Yeah, as a matter of fact, when I was reading this thing, I thought about a conversation I just had yesterday, not yesterday, on Tuesday, um, talking to an attorney um, who I know is in a very high pressure partner kind of thing and in a big law firm. And I said something to him about, what did you do on the weekend, the long weekend? He said, oh, I was right here the whole time. He, He worked Saturday, Sunday and Monday. Mm-hmm. And he has a wife and kids. Yeah. And I just, uh, all right, uh, and I thought about it and I thought, well, that's really dumb. Did he find glory in it or was it like, oh, I had to work? Like, what do you see these people get? No, I, I think he thinks. But he's a man, so that's a totally different story though, yes, than the uh, women part. Right. But. but that's what I'm saying. I think he thought he was doing the right thing. Yeah. And that it was expected of a man to do those mm-hmm. kinds of things. But the the problem, I think, is that it goes to a bigger issue here, which is. That as we've said before, women 
until recently, I'm going to say the last couple of years, women have actually been trying to conform to a male model of business success. So it started out back in the 70s or the 80s when what we had to wear if we were going to be taken seriously yeah, was a suit and maybe um, a shirt with a scarf rather than a tie, but we were still modeling what we were supposed to do because that's the way that men did it. Right. And I think we followed that all the way through, all through the years, and saying it's the same thing. But at the same time we're trying to conform to that model, we still have to be wives and mothers mm -hmm. and daughters. Right. And do all those. Th it's expected for us to do all of that plus this other thing. But when we look at the male model of what that was in business, men had corporate wives they had women who would do things for them, do food shopping, do food preparation. They would go out for dinner all the time. It was the way that the executive man functioned. Yeah. They didn't have a, have to worry about the wife and the kids. And I think about Mad Men being the example of that, that series that was on television. I know. Yeah, I know. So that's the way it was. You know, you had the wife at home. She found things to do to um, occupy her time. She took riding lessons. She took, uh, she played bridge. She went with, they drank a lot. They drank. That's what they did. But that is just the way that, that life evolved. And now what we're trying to do is bring both of those worlds into one place and we're killing ourselves. Mm -hmm. We just can't do it all. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. All the time. <clears throat> no, you can't. you can't. You can't. And it's not good for men either. No, no. When I think of what he said to me that he spent, uh, what was really um, not, all right, it was not a gorgeous weekend. It was a really crappy weekend around here, but Monday was spectacular. Yes. But he was in the office. Well, and I think, you know, there are some times, and he's an attorney, and he's got probably billable hours he has to meet and do and everything else. So you have sometimes those are the things you have to do. But if it's the norm. It is the norm. But it is the norm. Like you said, men do that. They just, they do. And they've done it for years. And right, well, trying to keep up with, you know, you do have to take that, you do have to take that break. Yeah. No matter who you are. Yep, and I remember a woman... And be okay with it. Well, that's you know, it. It's We're not okay. allowed. It would feel guilty if you do it. That, yeah, and you There's can't. a woman that I know who used to be um, uh, at a level of a senior manager in one of the local um, accounting firms. And she had been there for 15 or 20 years and was never promoted to partner. And initially... I think most of us thought that that's because she'd just been passed over. She was a very quiet person, not very assertive. But we discovered in talking to her, the reason she didn't want to be a partner is because she didn't want all of that. Yeah, the extra stuff. She wanted her life to be the way it was, where she still worked ridiculous hours. But she but wasn't... she knew what they were. She knew what to right. expect. And she wasn't held accountable for much beyond that. Mm -hmm. And that was fine with her. Like the old line, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. But right? I think that that's interesting that women have to make that choice. Mm -hmm. She should have been a partner. She put Just in all the time. Of that, yeah. yeah. And she was brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. So anyway, I think that's interesting that we're starting to look at that now and saying that that model of the guy who works, you know, 60, 70 hours a week 
we don't hold him in this high esteem as we used to because the younger men are starting to look at that and say this and is say, ridiculous right yeah. and i want to i want to be at my son's soccer yes. game i yes. want to be at my daughter's piano re- recital yep. i want that part i want to be a part of their lives right and i think it's good i think it it's is great good. start the change yes there you go Okay, well, we are going to take a quick break. We will be back with our guest expert, attorney Barbara J. O'Hara. You're listening to Laurie and Lynn's show, and we'll be right back. It's Saturday morning with Laurie and Lynn. Now, back to Laurie and Lynn. Well, we're back. My name is Lynn Evans. I am the president and CEO of Northeastern Financial Consultants. We're a fee-only financial planning firm in Clark Summit. I'm also the author of a book called Power of the Purse, Fear-Free Finances for Baby Boomer Women, available on Amazon.com. So we are here with our guest expert, attorney Barbara O'Hara, who is a partner in, let me get this right now, let me try It's Hughes, Nichols, and O'Hara. I am an attorney. I've been practicing for 36 years, and I do primarily family law. And the counties that you're in? The counties that that I'm in in are um, Lackawanna, Luzerne, Wyoming, Susquehanna, and Wayne. Okay. So um, the one thing I wanted to talk about today was I. My husband and I were listening to an audio book, and it was Blink, which is a pretty popular book mm-hmm. by Malcolm Gladwell and one part- one chapter in there was devoted to the mathematical research done on predicting divorce. Oh, it was really that. really really fascinating. Okay. And this was a study done done by John Gottman, a professor of psychology at the University of Washington. And what he did was he studied 650 couples over the course of 14 years. And he wanted to see which ones he thought would get divorced and which ones he thought would stay together. Mm-hmm. And he said he was right about 90% of the time. Really? And what he did was he researched, they filmed everyone and they interviewed people. They uh-huh. would ask very basic questions about your relationship. How did you meet? What was your first impression? What was your wedding like? Um, where did you live when you got married? And then about children and, and different transitions as, as life went on and their marriage went on. And what he would look at, and sometimes they wouldn't even listen to the answer. They'd look at how one, one partner looked at the other person. Did they... Um, how do they speak? Did they speak respectfully about the other spouse? Did they roll their eyes? Did they show any contempt? And he said contempt and lack of respect were the, were the big predictors <laughs> on whether or not these people would well, divorce. I would think so. And he, he said, you know, sometimes it just a very simple question, but, you know, they would talk about how their spouse didn't, you know, what'd you do on your first date? Oh, he was drunk. He was a jerk, whatever, you know, those kind of things. <laughs> and he said, he said, despite all of that, the person, people did get married and then eventually they divorced. Oh. And so he, he asked all these questions and then followed the couples mm-hmm. who, who got married, who stayed married and who got divorced. So, um, th- they looked at all those factors and best, and really looked at the um, the physical signs of 
how well they treated their spouse with respect and what contempt they showed towards their spouse, which I thought was interesting. And um, they actually measured their heart, heart rate to see, you know, what kind of feelings they had towards the other person, good or bad. They had leads on them? They had leads on them to see, to see oh the, the, goodness. The, the, their heart rates, as well as watched every little frame of their expression. Mm-hmm. Like even just quick little expressions that showed contempt or a lack, a lack of respect. And they measured that. And what they wanted to see was whether or not these people had the ability to make their marriage the port in the storm or whether or not their marriage was the storm itself, which I thought was an an, an interesting way to put that in this study. And they said the best marriages were ones where where a spouse treated their spouse like they were a guest. So your spouse spills a glass of wine on the table. Do you condemn the person for doing it? They're stupid, they're clumsy, whatever. Or do you treat them like a guest of, let me clean that up and get you another glass? Okay, you would do that for a guest, but you might not do that for your spouse. (laughs) And so the fascinating thing was what they found is a lot of people did Divorce in the first, 50% of these couples divorced in the first seven years. Okay. And then they they also looked at what component did having a, a child affect their, their staying together. And actually they found that a lot of people did stay together if they had a child in those first seven years. And about half of them that didn't have children did divorce after the seven years, within that seven years. Wow. This is what okay. what they found, and that a lot of people did stay together if they had if they had children, but then divorced later as the kids became teenagers. Yeah, I was just going to say which that. Yeah. I find that in my practice, a yes. lot of people are like, "We'll say we stayed together until we got the kids through high school, yes. and then there were plans to launch, mm-hmm. you know, of mm-hmm. of to get out of the relationship and to move on once they felt that they got their." their child to adulthood. So when you start with that first one, you said that couples that have a child within the first seven years of marriage stay together. I wonder how many of those people really stay because the marriage is good or because they they feel like they need to for the sake of the child. Well, that's when they looked at, are you really in an emotionally dead relationship? Or And they looked at a lot of these things of... You know, what what feelings do you have towards the other spouse? And are you still in a vibrant relationship where you care and respect the other the other spouse? Or are you really emotionally dead? Mm-hmm. And they also researched got people that had been violent towards each other. And they said, you know, they were ones where there was no respect or there was no... They put it in a fascinating way that the person really hadn't let... And it was usually uh, like the male really hadn't integrated the female into their life. So it was, hey, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Not we are doing this and this is where our relationship is going. This is what we considered. It's I'm going drinking. I'm going out to play Mm -hmm. cards. I'm doing this. And never a sense of what are we doing as a couple mm-hmm. and how was your day, honey? You know, not that um, 
that interaction didn't happen. And a lot of these guys who were, and he did say they were guys, not trying to badmouth one gender, but in these emotionally and physically abusive relationships where they did not consider the other spouse and didn't integrate the female into their life. Mm-hmm. So that I thought that was an interesting thing. And I've never seen any research on things like this. Yeah. I've never seen it's research amazing. on predicting the, the divorce rates of people. But um, he had followed 650 couples over the course of 14 wow. years. And you know, Barb, it is true that the, um, the um, treating like the guest scenario, you know, I mean, when you think of that, of course, I treat my guests the same way, which would be class. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why well, I never give anyone a glass of wine. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> like but, a complete moron. I'm kidding. But I do. Treating I your guests like a spouse. No, but I, yeah, exactly. But I do. I do worry about <clears throat> wine when I people. That's why I usually only invite people in the summer when we're out. Oh, <laughs> well, serve water only in the oh, house. That's it. If it's and spills, something it's else no in there. No, I'm kidding. But it's why Sean said at seven. Could I? Could I not have a sippy cup, mom? But it's just you know. It's just, <laughs> Poor children. Poor, yeah, poor well, children. Turned out just fine. So yes. I'm not worried. But That's good. Um, you know what? The thing is that it is so much better when you do, when you the kinder way that you treat somebody else. Why is it that we treat the ones we love worse than that? So, mm-hmm. yeah. And well, off air, Lynn and I were talking that when she meets with a couple in in her practice, right? Yes. Um, tell our listeners you know, what you find. I can tell just by watching the interaction. And you know, like you said, you've, you've talked about some of the things when they do this interview, they talk about uh, their backgrounds, how they met, and all the all the stuff that goes on with creating the marriage. And that's a lot of the questions that we ask in that first interview. We ask you are them very in depth. Yes, mm-hmm. we we have uh, fifteen or so questions we ask a couple uh, when they first come in because what we're looking for is to see whether or not we can really work with them. Because as a couple, as a couple, right. because the couple, you know, you can have one person who's very empathetic to wanting to get something done. I want to get it done. And the other one is very resistant. Well, I have to find out what the resistance is about, because if we make a plan for for the couple, then it's only going to be as good as the the most dominant of the two who's going to either get it done or not get it mm-hmm. done. So in doing all that. We find out ahead of time the dynamic of the of the marriage, of the relationship, to see whether or not this is going to work for us to work with them. And in doing that, I have often said that I can tell just by that experience alone which of these couples are going to make it and which ones aren't. I mean, as, as wow. not with us, but as in divorced uh-huh. couples or their marriage is, is are strong. Are you usually right? Yes. <gasps> See, yeah, and it may so not have done this research on your own. Yeah, but not anything I can quantify. <laughs> but obviously, the thing is that you you look at that and you say, well, it it could happen. It could happen. You know, when the youngest child gets to be a certain age, I am not surprised when we get a call and say we filed for divorce, because it's what you just said before. A lot of times, people stay together for the benefit of the kids, or so they think. 
And then when the kids reach a certain state, they look at each other and say, oh, who what is this person? Here? And, you yeah. know. But and I, sometimes they've been in an emotionally dead relationship oh, for, yeah. sure. for a long for time. But Barbara, for and you probably can't answer this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you think, have you seen better results of people who separated, divorced early with their children younger versus waiting, thinking they were doing the right thing and doing it later in life? I've seen some studies on that Yeah, where they said a lot of people thought it'd be better to wait. Yeah. And what the kids have seen is a horrible way to right. treat a woman, to, uh, right. a horrible way to, to treat, treat a man. A man. Mm-hmm. And they've, you know, they, uh, they're modeling bad behavior. Yes. So that's, that can be that's very bad. However, them. and the effects of if you're going to be fighting all the time and it's, it's the war of the roses, mm-hmm. it's not good for your kids to see that either. Mm-hmm. Right. So, but then I've seen some studies that said, you know, kids have, have done better. The one thing that surprised me in practice, and I've been doing this for 36 years, I thought it would be the younger kids that would have a harder time, and it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. I've had older kids have a much harder time, particularly in the case of adultery, where the, oh, the yeah. kids felt it was a betrayal of the family, mm-hmm. not just a betrayal of the spouse, Right? of how could that, how could my parent, which mom or dad, have done that and betrayed us. Mm-hmm. It's not because they're old enough cheat to understand. On mom. Then. Yeah, you, you cheated, cheated on, on us. the family, right? Right. And I've had suicide attempts and things like that where the child, the child felt so abandoned mm-hmm. because now you you have have hurt their base, right? Of what was comfortable, and I've known this for the last eighteen years, and now all of a sudden, dad cheats with whomever, and now we don't have that family anymore. Right. Right. And it's a real hard thing. Mm-hmm. And it could go either gender. And, I you know. know, kids have a rough, I have found in my practice, the kids, the older kids have a rougher time with the split up. Yeah. But then by the same token, I've seen some families where, you know, they're in, they've witnessed a bad relationship between mom and dad. And they're the people who are encouraging the divorce because, hey, you know, I had one, the people were married for 58 years. And mom had been beaten up by this guy for years, and the kids brought her in and said, we don't never remember a time where mom wasn't bruised. And they, as adults, brought in mom after all these years and said, you know, she can't live out her old age getting beaten by this guy. Wow. Oh, my so, God. So you, you see both sides of this. Yeah, it's... And, but you know, there's that, and I'm all about the song stuff. But there's this song by Kenny Loggins that was explaining to his children why he they got divorced. And I love the line. And when my kids went to Kairos, um, well, for Sean, I put that in that you know I did it for you, I did it for me because I didn't want you to see the imitation love that your mom and and I tried to show you. And I love that line because that's, that's and in his letter. I wrote that because Sean, my Sean, was only eight years old and Tommy was 12, 13. Tommy was a little bit older, but Sean was little. Eight years old is is awfully young. And you just, you know, I remember feeling that way. Like, what's the best way? So, okay. Well, Barb, um, please tell everyone how they can reach you. I I can be reached at 570-344-7171. And my office is located in Dunmore at 1421 East Drinker Street. There you go. Thank you Well, very thank much. you for joining have us, a everybody. Weekend. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Please be safe and please be nice. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.